Coming at you live from Anthro Pillars of the Earth, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with cartoon? episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey digging through decades of animation to find the good, bad, and just plain weird of Canadian cartoons. I'm your co-host, Chris Antonio, And I'm your co-host, Sylvie Kettles. Sylvie, we have a daunting task ahead of us. Do we? Yes, yes, uh, we do. Um, this is another one of those series that is based on a long-running, beloved children's book series. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified to tackle these. <laughs> You're worried we're uh, we're gonna awaken the fan base. We never have yet, because no. we've been very complimentary to the other examples of this that we've encountered in the past. Yeah, specifically Silverwing, um, and we have been we've we've handled them with very delicate gloves, I would say. I would agree. But, and here, something that is that I've come to learn from talking with you. Is a beloved property. Very much so. Do you remember? Do you remember? I, we were talking about this uh, when we decided on this series to cover. Uh, we were talking about the cancelled adaptation from the person behind Over the Garden Wall. Patrick McHale, yes. Patrick McHale's uh, version of the series we're going to talk about today. Fucking was heartbreaking. Ca- yeah, I, I regret bringing that up. Last time we talked, and regret it bringing up again, because, man, the streaming era. Just, the streaming era is not kind to animators and animation. Yeah, like, Patrick McHale is kind of one of those writers where it very much seems like, no, you should just let him do whatever the hell he wants. Hey, Netflix, just throw money at the project. It will work. But, like, conversely, while he's he's cultivated that kind of... um reputation for every like three to four projects that are announced that he's attached to maybe one makes it out maybe because that is just the dire straits that is the animated sphere within the streaming era like it's not kind it's also just a a natural course of film and television production is that for everything that does work out there's like a million other projects that probably would have been even better, but they get lost in pre-production hell. True enough, but I just feel like that number per creative has increased, uh, like, threefold because of streamers knocking on their doors asking for quote-unquote content. Yeah, and then, like, halfway through going, nah, actually, we decided that's too expensive, or we're not going in that direction this quarter anymore. Oh, that's the that's the one that's that's the explanation isn't it just someone from hbo max or max as a thing is just called now or crave on... in canada yay better name yeah but like so, someone from crave knocking on your door and say like hey listen uh what do you got yeah g- give us something 
they signed you to a first look deal and then somewhere down the pipeline while you were working you're collecting people to work on this project you're bringing them all together you're putting your heart and soul into it they're like ooh this is going to cost money ooh did not uh, hmm yeah well sorry fun fact that's actually the plot of the Shirobako movie that is the plot of the Shirobako movie yeah I just watched it this weekend, so it's fresh on the brain. Uh, spoilers, I have a lot of uh, animation feelings today. Good, good. Yeah. That'll that'll help yeah. us through our conversation. Yeah. Um, but yes, as I'm saying, always daunting to take on a like a property that has been beloved for so long. Because I remember, I remember when that uh, Patrick McHale adaptation was like announced in like discussing film and on the trades. It's like, oh, this is in the works. Like the fervor oh the, yeah the hype it was like we, it, we it was uncontrollable reawakening the fan base that reawoke the fan base just just the the glimmer of hope just being the crumbs of like hey remember this very formative novel series from your childhood a beloved uh right uh television writer is going to make an animated film based on it a, a very like a beloved television writer that very much seems to come from your generation or yeah. at least speaks your language because you know he yeah. he's he's attached to uh flapjack adventure time over the garden wall gravity falls just as a voice but like these are the things that like you rediscovered your love of animation as a millennial yeah as and then oops HBO said, hmm, no. Wasn't that Netflix? It was Netflix. Oh, that was that Netflix, yeah. Yeah, it was going to be a film, I believe. Maybe yeah. the first of a series. Probably and... would have just covered the first book. I wonder if any of that material made it into Pinocchio. I, mm, I doubt it. I, I'm just wondering how far along they got into this. Because <laughs> I, I can't tell anymore with the streaming era. Like, how, like, what is a project anymore? Yeah. Yeah. So on that note... So, on this week's podcast, we were dancing around it a bit, but we are taking a look at Brian Jacques Redwall. It is Brian Jacques, right? Yes. I did not look up any pronunciations, because I'm professional. I assume so. Great. Uh, the series was based on Jacques' series of children fantasy novels, published between 1986 and 2011, ending with the posthumously released 22nd entry in the series. A uh, big rip to Brian Jacques. You brought a, you brought a lot of happiness into kids' lives. You were fucking incredible. Yep, you loved your tiny little mouses and badgers and wood creatures. Uh, the as series, you should. as you should. The series, which was developed by Steve Roberts, who had a prolific career in '90s TV animation. Uh, he was attached to a lot. There's no even point going through his credits. Um, and it was produced by our friends at Who Else Nelvana. It's the bear. Yay! What, has it been one episode, two episodes since we saw him last? It has been uh, three days without Nelvana incident. Whoops. 
Oh, well, reset the calendar. And France-based Alphanim, now known as Gaumont Animation for its first season. And Germany Studio, an awful rejected name for Teletoon, TV Loonland AG for its second and third season. Oh, hey. Oh, hey, you know what that makes this? Oh, hold on. I have a note here in my notes. Uh, just a little sentence. Uh, do the bit. <laughs> I was doing the bit! Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> I said, do you know what that makes this? No, I don't. It makes it technically Canadian. Oh, what's that mean? That's the best kind of Canadian. Is that the bit? That's the bit. Ah, we gotta rework that. Uh, the series lasted for three seasons and 39 episodes between 1999 and 2002 on Teletoon, with each season being largely based on a separate book in Jacques' series. Uh, season one, season two, and three, season three are based on three books respectively. Uh, first one is Redwall, second one is Matamio, and the third one is, what, is Martin the Warrior? That sounds right. Okay, so there we go. I got my own, all my information right. You did uh, for, for today's episode... We took a look at the first two episodes of the series, Clooney, The Scourge, Part 1 and 2. So is it Clooney? Yes. Clooney. Clooney. Brian, I love you. Uh, we lost a great writer when you died. You could have gone to the drawing board again with that name. I, I'm very fond of... Uh, Clooney? He goes. He gets even weirder. Like He goes full Welsh with some names. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, we get some we get some good good polls. Okay, well, um that episode those episodes were written by series developer uh Steve Roberts and presumably directed by series director Raymond Jaffalis. Original air date September 8th, 1999. Sylvie. Yes. Is there any point in asking you what Redwall is because it's a whole bloody series of a lot of adventures within the world of I mean quote-unquote Redwall. Yeah, it's it's basically just a bunch of different various adventures that take place at Redwall Abbey. And the only other thing you need to know is everyone is a woodland critter. Right. They're all uh they're all residents of the local woods, which I forget the name of. I don't think it's mentioned in these first two episodes, but it is absolutely Mentioned in other places. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, the podcast is spiraling out of control. Oh, God. We Vamp. failed. Vamp for a second. For, I, I, guess I can do this. Uh, 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 I think it's funny that in this series, everyone is a sentient woodland critter, except for cats, who are just cats. I think that's very funny. Like, Moss, flower, wood. That's it. So it's Redwall Abbey and the surrounding countryside of Moss, flower, wood, where all of the mostly cute critters uh of like woodland species kind of yeah yeah you got your your moles your voles your your mice and rabbits and hedgehogs and badgers those are all the good ones those are all like the uh respectable members of this critter society and then you've got the vermin the rats um sparrows i think play like minor villains for the first season any kind of, like, predatory animal. Yeah, but, yeah. It's very funny how that worked out. Uh, so we have a lot of... I, you've mentioned it many times uh, in our text chain leading up to this. Uh, some Watership Down vibes. A little bit, just in in the, the case of using cute little woodland critters to tell some very harrowing tales. Because this is just pure, like... 
like fantasy novel kind of material. Yeah. Yeah, like you've got your your core location, um your your peace loving little community and then just horrible things threatening them and uh small people rising to the challenge and becoming heroes. Like I classic, assume that classic yeah. storytelling archetypes. Right, it's all about what what is compelling the at least for this first uh series with the first novel Redwall it's all based around this apparent prophecy or something that is compelling our hero Matthias 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 Ma- fuck episodes canceled <laughs> uh Matthias uh to take up the mantle of a warrior despite him struggling with pacifism after losing all of his family this shit is heavy yeah, from the onset it's a, by it's the way wait to give your your tiny little mouse 13 year old backstory it's not even two minutes into the first episode of this series which was aired for children by the way where we see the horrific backstory of matthias told in flashback where his entire family is brutally murdered yeah uh the only one who survives the initial attack of of the rats is our matthias and his sister uh, Matilda, I think? Um, and she collapses from exhaustion after carrying little three-year-old Matthias to safety through harrowing adventures, and then she dies. Yes, and? Uh, and then... She just... Wh- why? Well, to be fair... That was kind of a downer note to leave on. She's been walking for days without food. Carrying, what do you mean? She's fine. Carrying a toddler on her back and defending him from snakes and cats and also falling into icy, frigid water. Um, but she gets... She carries him all the way to Redwall where uh, she collapses and and dies. And Matthias is taken in by a lovely badger named Constance and uh, one of the monks of the Abbey. Who attempt to raise him into a life of pacifism, but... Um... Well... Matthias has got that dog in him. Constance doesn't take shit from anybody. No, that's true. Uh, She's very violent and very encouraging of Matthias' violent ways. And I love that about her. Matthias has that dog in him. Yeah. That dog that named Martin the Warrior, and he won't hear any of this respect your fellow creature, turn the other cheek nonsense. No. Yeah, he'll be kind, but he's he is not averse to fucking shit up. He spent the majority of these first two episodes. Badgering, ha, badgering, badgering, uh, Abbot Mortimer, the yep. leader of this, uh, Redwall Abbey, saying, so, um, where's that sword? Yeah, like, give, Cough it give up, me old a, man. give me a blade, old man, I will cut the head off this rat who murdered my family. We cannot negotiate with terrorists, says <laughs> Matthias. Mean, is he wrong? In this case, uh, Clooney the Scourge doesn't seem to have a plan other than general anarchy. Yeah. And, he just, I mean, he fully does take advantage of the abbot's very aggressive pacifism, where, like, they're, they're at the wall saying, oh, man, these guys are definitely evil. They are absolutely lying to us, and they want to come in to kill us. And the abbot's fucking like, look at him. fucking let him in, bruh. I'll talk to anybody who comes in peace. And they're like, these guys do not come in peace, my guy. And he's like, no, 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 no. 
They do. They absolutely do. And then surprise, you get betrayed. Like all these other members of this abbey who are all sharing the same kind of goodwill and fortune that's coming from this like localization of this weird community of Mossflower Wood saying like, dude, you are putting us all at risk. And he's like, but peace. What peace? Like, so does Catholicism exist in this world? Uh, what are they praying to? Why are they monks? I, I, do, it's not, it's definitely not like Christianity. I don't think they pray to any given deity. I think it's more of a... Pan, the goat god. That's it. That's the one. You know what? I'm not even going to pretend to, like, I'm not even going to make up an answer. I'm not even going to keep going on. It's Pan. They all, they pray to Pan. Can, can I, like, Google, uh... Ouija on the online and see if we can contact Brian Jacques. Because <laughs> okay, I like I want to I really desperately want to know like because I we not we're not supposed to think this deeply into it doesn't matter it's for kids. Uh no there there is no explicit religion in Redwall. But 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 they're monks. They um, have a doctrine of some type to dictate their beliefs. Well I think. Because it's, it's an abbey. It's not a monastery. But they call each other brother. I know. Um, but it but an abbey doesn't necessarily have a religious structure. It's more of like... I, I think that the, the abbey acts as like a, commu- a community hub of sorts. So they... I guess they worship the talking tapestry then? Sure. I, I think it's just sort of like a general do do good that gets you nowhere no and it, it literally almost got them murdered the first two episodes are a lot of setup for uh the first redwall novel i've come to be- i've as i understand it it's the origin story of uh matthias uh poor little orphan taken in by Redwall Abbey and through their kindness learns to defend himself and the people he loves uh, and also spurred on by the vengeful spirit of Martin the Warrior. Yeah, I, I know. It's one of those I know it's for kids, but the I am that is, like, just the, the fact that that's the, that is the clue for, like, who will discover the location of the sword. It's an anagram for Matthias. Like. Oh. That's. That seems so arbitrary. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying. You're, th- you're saying that. Um, Thadizam can't also. Discover the <laughs> Shit, I'm sword. Sorry. I thought. I forgot about Thadizam. Like Thadizam. I mean. Like, he's a little portly. And he's. Uh, hey, he's kind of he like antisocial. A, anyone can be a hero. He, he likes to nibble into everyone's food when they're not looking, and he's kind of a real pain on the ass, but, you know, he could find the sword and God do God knows what with it. Jesus. Yeah. See, I am, that is, this weird prophecy that keeps, like, ringing through the ears of Matthias. Uh, I, I don't know. It's really concerning. Yeah, the fact that there is this uh, ghost ap- actively talking to this vengeful 13-year-old and is like, hey... Hey, buddy. You want a sword? Like Matthias, my, my, my sword grows thirsty for the blood of my enemies. So, okay, Please, Matthias, Martin. feed me. Oh no, the sword is a cursed object. Yeah, that'd be a nice twist. Yeah. Cause, like, you know, they, they, 
the the whole I guess structure of the Martin the Warrior stories. He he comes to the Abbey, learns pacifism, and lives a much happier life after a long storied history of battles. I guess. Mm-hmm. As you can tell, neither of us have read any of the Redwall book series. True. You have. I I definitely like. I read the first one. Actively read it. And then, uh, for, for the rest, I, I entered a fugue state where I definitely took them out from the library, and I definitely opened them all, and I re- flipped through every page, and I looked at all of the words, but none of them re- are retained in my brain. That is... that is so strange. Yeah. This out-of-body experience you had <laughs> while encountering the literature of Brian Jacques. <laughs> yep. How old were you? Uh, this would have been, like, ages 9 through 11, maybe. Can you recall any, like, moment where, say, like, you were uh, standing outside and a bright light appeared above you? Because this sounds like something that, uh, <laughs> like, if I told this story to, like, Fox Mulder, he'd go, like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see the, this child. This is the memory that the aliens replaced like, that was the weird behavior that gave it away to everyone. It's like, oh, that was definitely an abduction story. That's <laughs> yeah, what happened that's to it. her. I so was you... abducted, and I had just finished reading the first one at the time. So the aliens, like, I had the, the characters of Redwall fresh in my brain at the time. And so mm-hmm. they just inserted fake memories of reading the rest of it. But the aliens had never read Redwall. No, so that's why you, you've retained no, none of the uh, yeah. information. Yeah. It was all just a clever ruse by the greys to make you believe that you expand in your literary world. That's through it. Through Brian Jock. When in reality, you were just like transmitting things back to the home base. Yeah. And you didn't even know. Why would I? What are we talking about? Right. Um, so I guess we can start here again. Uh, you had some familiarity with the series, none that you can remember. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you watch the television show? Uh, no. And why? I don't know. What? It was, a, it was on television. That was... Oh, that was why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, we watched it. It was so weird because we, on YouTube, it's on Treehouse Direct right now. Also, just real quick, real quick. Fuck those guys for taking out the credits. Yeah, right? I don't care that uh, parents just want to sit their kids down in front of a playlist and just have it all bombard them one after the other in a just kids, auto-generated playlist. Kids should have to sit through credits. Yeah, I don't, I don't care if your, your toddler starts to get a little bored because we're going through, like, the storyboard artist for Redwall. Those people matter. They worked so hard on it! Again, and... I'm in my Shirobako feels. <laughs> all of those animators... Gave so much. They all had dreams, and then they worked on Redwall. The the fact that, I mean, we were just talking about it with the many many canceled projects of Patrick Mahale. The fact that anything gets made right? is a miracle. Like, as a somewhat professional film critic, it's it hurts me to say that because, like, you know, then the counter argument is always like, so why do you criticize anything? It's like, no, 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 no. That's you not don't what I'm understand. saying. I'm saying it is a miracle things get made at all because of the way the industry works, the way the business is set up. Yeah. And the fact that Redwall even got three seasons, shocking. I mean, it had a, it had a, 
an existing fan base and I think enough parents uh, could be just not paying attention to mm. what little Billy is watching. I wasn't more speaking to the, uh, like, harsher content that happens in Redwall, like, the more, uh, the, the more mature story themes, although that is probably, that, that was probably a hard sell to begin with. It's more the fact that this was coming out in the late 90s to early 2000s, and animation was a completely different beast at that time. That's, yeah, that's also true. Something like Redwall that, uh, has a maturity about it, that has a dignity about it, that has, um takes itself seriously yeah a dignity but also it's it's a very hard sell because the writing and the characters have a dignity about them but then when you look at the aesthetics of it they're just cute little mice yeah there's there's not a laugh of minute here there is not a, a wacky character that could be easily spun off into its own show and a plush yeah like, like the, the show is a very hard sell M- Matthias... on, on a lot of fronts Matthias is just a bundle of trauma and bloodlust. That's all he is. Yeah, like any you, good you can't, fantasy you can't, hero. Yeah, exactly. He is a classic fantasy hero. You can't really sell that to a kid. You can't sell it to a kid, and you would have a, a hard time selling just cute little mice to, like, a teenager. Yeah, it, it occupies a weird space yeah. uh, because of... It's like uh, it's anthropomorphized uh, whole theme aesthetic motif. Yeah. I don't know what you would, would like to call that, but um, and the fact that it is a very classical fantasy setting premise storyline. Yeah, uh, it's it's heavy medieval. And then that's probably the reason why, despite me being the teleteen person of this podcast, I never really gave this show a shot. I don't care for fantasy coward you can call that cowardice if you want and i I did i will i did okay fine fine you you do that um it just that's just a genre that never connects with me like i can appreciate uh any genre that does it well uh but i'm far less likely to give a shot to say a fantasy series book a a book of like fantasy novels or a upcoming fantasy movie they don't really make those anymore but uh yeah like i haven't seen the dungeons and dragons movie yet probably won't doesn't look like my thing you seem to very much like it well yeah but that's i play D D, so i kind of have to and see that's probably another reason why uh if you remember the one time i played dungeons and dragons <laughs> with you i i kind of tanked the whole <laughs> evening i mean we were all just kind of fucking around that particular day but yeah yeah, yeah you weren't it, it did not strike your fancy. No, no, I, I committed the cardinal sin of all fantasy role-playing games. I didn't commit. Yeah, you did not commit to the bit. But also, I am deeply socially awkward, and there were a lot of people there. Like, there was like seven people there, right? There were like three. Oh, so I'm the problem. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, was, you're, you're learning a lot about yourself today. I, I don't... I, I don't... I'm supposed to learn things about Redwall, not about myself. I mean, we can do both. Fine, fine. Uh, so, a little bit on why it looked like that. Yeah. Why so. Why do it look like that? Well, this is a classic, if a classic strategy we've seen before, 
where the Redwall book series has a very distinct look about it. It do. None of that is here. <laughs> yeah, no, there is... I mean, in in its in the animator's defense, it's uh it's a tricky look to carry over. Yes, the uh the book series was illustrated by Gary Chalk, and he has a lot of grit and detail in his illustrations. Yeah, I, this again, it goes back to like classic eighties uh, fantasy novels. Yes, like, yes, it's a... he's he's got this very lush, detailed design choices that just purely would not work to animate no 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 it, and, and his illustrations are beautiful yes just just flat out there are a couple of like you can find some books of like the art of gary chalk uh man can that guy can can, can that guy draw an intricate armor design love, love an intricate armor i'll say that much uh but We've got a very classic translation of that style, which by, by that I mean Nelvana. Yes. I love how you can just point out a Nelvana show. It's like beautiful, like painterly backgrounds and then just... God, the backgrounds. These base, bare bones, like, yep, that's what that animal looked like. It, it's just like realistic enough. Like it's, it's a... What am I trying to say here? It's very close to uh, um, the, the the body types of those animals. They're not exaggerated. Other than them walking on two legs and yeah. standing upright with a completely rigid spine, uh, they don't. They they look like animals. Yeah, they just the the mice have like those big, mostly black, little little obsidian eyes. I think the only, like, the only character with, like, cartoonified eyes are, uh, Constance has, like, a little more human, uh, and Clooney, weirdly enough, like, some of the rats are just given more, like, cartoony human-like eyes. Well, because they're the villains. Yeah. So you want to give them expressions. You want to, you want them to look more like human. Yeah. Um, and then horse, and then, uh, the horse- there's a ho- oh, there is a horse. There is a horse, and uh, and a horse oh is just boy. a horse. The horse is just a horse. What? Okay, Redwall, fine. Yeah, yeah. I, n- the I never like that. Just a horse. Um, the cat is just a cat. Ev- everyone else has a soul. And also, the snake is basically just a snake because it doesn't have any clothes. Yeah, but it does speak. It does speak, but but it- only its name. It only says Asmodeus. Which is weird. I, I never like this in these anthropomorphic kind of shows when they also just have pets. Yeah, where they can't seem to decide, like, what what is allowed to just, what is allowed to have a, a personality and what is just an animal. It's, it's the Goofy and Pluto conundrum. <laughs> yes. Like, what do you mean they're both dogs? At what point does it does a being have a soul and sentience and a right to be treated with respect? This is such a hack comedy bit that everyone has made before, but it's like, you know Goofy is just a little on edge whenever he goes over to Mickey's place and it's like, Yeah, I see you have one of my brethren just locked up in the back yeah. there. Yeah, that's to a post. Oh, he oh, he has his own house. Yes, it is um I see that. 
it has no like heating or bedding or anything. It's just a a little shelter from the from the elements. So and like Clooney the Scourge Rat, uh, of course, why wouldn't he just ride a horse that has no sentience? Is just it's just a horse. Yeah. A means of conveyance. Yeah. Come on, Brian Jacques. <laughs> Put more effort into it. I, oh right, you're dead. He, yeah, he can't. Let me just load up this video Ouija right now. I'll figure this out, don't worry. Yeah, okay, okay. He will guest on the pod, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like even with Ouija, he has to, like, show up. <laughs> uh, I, I love that you pointed out the uh, lush backdrops to this series. Um, yeah, because uh, they're gorgeous. This forest, this moss flower woods... God, does it look cozy. I mean, this is peak, like, this entire series, I believe, originated a lot of millennials who just want to live in the woods. You're, you're, you're saying this is millennials Walden? What's Walden? Oh, come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I, yes. Oh, that's all staying in, I hope, you know. <laughs> Good. I, I also appreciate, like, all of the animals being animals in that, like, even though they are walking upright, they still have their little, like, backwards heels and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. It's The, the moles and um, the, the rabbit, our, our one rabbit boy, has I, little it's... springy legs hate this fucking rabbit <laughs> it's it's like the thing that um it's it has been pointed out for like more recent elder scrolls games where like in morrowind the uh khajiit and the argonians had like the kitty and lizards yes yeah they had like different uh biology to them where they were like they stood differently they had it wasn't just like a a, a non uh, a non-human face on just a, a stock human body. Like, they actually had animalism, animalistic attributes to them. Yes. And it's it's just something that I've, like, since that was pointed out, it's something I appreciate about, like, when you're doing anthropomorphic character design. Yeah, when, whenever the beasties still maintain a degree of their animal origins. Some hind like, legs, some... Yeah, it's 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 more fun when they're not just an animal on a human body. <laughs> That's more terrifying. Yeah. That's more unsettling for kids, honestly. It's weird. Like, kids can accept, accept the fact that uh, Clooney the rat is just upright talking and he's got a little hook on his tail. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, but if, he lo if his body looked like a man, Ew. they would have nightmares. Like ew, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We are we are hard fantasy, we are hard anthro, and we are doing it right. God damn it! This is this is a pirate sea rat. What? He's he's a sea rat. He's a sea rat. I don't know. He he gives me pirate vibes because he's got like the one earring and an eye patch. Yeah, they kept saying like sea rat. I don't understand what that meant. Um, I mean, I assume it has something to do with the specific species that he is. I I, I would imagine it's. Oh, okay, yes. 
I mean, it's just a kind of rat that. Great. Live like, like a like a boat rat. Like a boat rat. Like a rat that goes on boats. Oh, thank you. Okay, now I get it. That helps a whole ton. It's so, so. I I obviously I have not seen the rest of the series or have read any of the books. Uh, what is Clooney's goal? I don't remember. Just just general like pillage, I, mayhem. I I assume he's smash and grab whatever you can basic, get. Basic uh, pirate king. Hmm, fair enough. He's a he's a lord humongous in his own right. Um, yeah. But it's it's confusing to me because why does he fi- why does he become so fixated on this symbol of the Abbey, this tapestry? Did he? Is it implied that he and Martin have history? I don't. I don't know. Uh, because I I think he does appear in the tapestry itself. Oh right, there is a weird bit of prophecy there, where there's a recursiveness to what the tapestry represents. Yeah. So I I imagine it's sort of like a. It it feels like. In these two episodes, it's more of like an intimidation tactic, mm-hmm. where he sees that the the people of this abbey are rallying around this symbol, and he's like, well, I'm just going to take away their symbol of hope. Then they won't have the courage to stand up to me. Classic terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, before we move on from visuals, uh, let's just talk a bit about tapestries. Oh my god. Uh, so... Redwall, the TV series, uh, and I assume in the books as well with their illustration, because Gary Chalk does do this as well. Um, lovely motif of tapestry visuals. Yes, it's it's such a fun uh, opportunity for for any, especially such a detail oriented artist as Chalk. Like when you're given the goal of medi- medieval tapestry work. And then been told, go. Which, as we know, is a very, like, diverse uh, style. There, there's a lot oh, that can yeah. be... Uh, like, I'm sure you follow one of those... Uh, you, specifically, follow one of those accounts of, like, uh, historical drawings or tapestry stuff. And it's all just very meme and weird. Yeah. I I have in, in my phone right now, like, under a list of, like, references that I want to use for future tattoos... I have a piece of like this doofy medieval bat <laughs> because he's he's just such a cute little little gremlin, just a little critter, and he's smiling and it's so stupid and I I want it on my body so badly. <laughs> well, it's funny because like tapestries uh, within like the medieval Judeo-Christian kind of uh, variety, like they. They instill these ideas of grandeur, of storytelling, of, of like, you know, epic yarns being cataloged for future generations. Mm-hmm. But then in the corners, like, oh, so here's, like, a like a cat man shoving an instrument up this guy's ass. Yeah, like, for any sort of uh, me- medieval illuminations are just, they're so beautiful, but they took so long. And they were done by these uh, skilled artisans who were also just very tired and overworked monks yeah they were just they were just dudes so like yeah they got a little they got a little goofy with it they put knights fighting snails and giant rabbits 
Speaking of, uh, here is like uh, along this tapestry, like this is the chronicle of the great battle of Hastings and the many casualties and the great strategy used. And in this corner, this woman just thrown up. Just look at her go. Look at her go. Look at all that. Wow, she got a lot in there. See, like that, that's that's for me. That's for me, the tapestry weaver. <laughs> Gary, the the tapestry weaver. <laughs> that that one's for Gary. That's my signature. God, there's a uh, there's a record of like really weird uh illumination sidebars and one of them is just like a note saying uh like if you need artwork done uh call father like come see father or uh brother richard across from notre dame cathedral fucking running ads yeah come on guys I mean, you know what? Hustle all you can. And you know what? That probably took a while to weave that into the tapestry, so... (laughs) Good on them. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, like, with all the title cards and, and, like, the wraparound ending kind of summary of the episode that concludes every episode, it's all done in these, like, really nice mimicked tapestry aesthetics. Yeah, like these little embroidered pieces. Like, every... Yeah. I'm especially fond of the one that ends the first episode because, like, we have this quiet moment between Matthias and Cornflower, his his love interest. Cornflower. And, and, like, we, yes, we've been made aware that uh, Clooney is sending in his stealth rat uh, to scale the wall and, and come up, but, like, we sort of don't get to see the two interacting, those two, like, scenes interacting until the very last shot where we get this little um embroidered piece of matthias and cornflower nestled in their safe in the safety of the red of Redwall, and then just it pans out to the shot of the the rat like climbing up the wall in the in the same piece it's it's a really clever kind of cliffhanger to storytelling technique to have onto every episode is just this that also sets the kind of uh, setting very that also like establishes the setting very well is ending yeah. every episode with a really really brief summary of what like what directly just transpired and what yeah. could potentially be happening because you know tapestries are supposed to be read yeah like here is yeah it's it's a storytelling technique so like it it quickly summarized what we just experienced uh in the life of matthias and his little animal buddies and then immediately it kind of sets up the next episode like it's it's a really clever thing that uh, was well translated from the you know the setting and genre of the novel series. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really cute set piece that I'm very I'm very attached to. Oh, also these first two episodes which that we covered uh, because obviously it's this is a sequen- sequential story, so mm-hmm. didn't make sense to just pick up wherever in season one, two, or three. So we just started at the beginning. Uh, Really, really strong opener. Yes. Like, this is really impressive how it sets up the entire plotline, characters, and main villain for, like, this whole arc. And even has a mini battle in the second episode. And, yeah, it's just a great premiere that would definitely have got me hooked if I cared about fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you, you keep saying fantasy because... Like, yeah, they're anthropomorphized animals, but there really are, there's no, no fantastical element to this besides, like, 
the maybe the spirit of the talking Martin. tapestry. Yeah, but like that, everything else is very grounded in just like in just history. Yes, yes, but um, I did poke around enough to know that yes, yeah, supernatural elements do get involved. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's fun. Why would you, if you had the choice to include that or not? Like, you think Brian Jack is like, no, 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 it's got to be pure. <laughs> I've got a my my woodland critter, uh, ad- adventure adventure story cannot indulge in fantasy in the least. Well, like like Brian, like I know I'm your publisher here, but like ha- like fantasy is like booming right now. Have you ever thought maybe adding a wizard? Fuck off. <laughs> The mice I mean, stay yeah, pure. It's, it's the eighties. It's yeah. We've got we've got stacks and stacks of forgotten realms novels. Conan the Barbarian is selling like hotcakes. Brian, you gotta jump on this. But like, no, my mice will remain god fearing. <laughs> no, they're not. They fear a they divine fear entity god. named God. They do not. The Christian God says He's... Brian Jacques. Brian Jacques would never do not. Do not smear this dead man's name. Well, the the Ouija website won't load, so I can't get him to rebuttal at me. So the statement stays. <laughs> How dare you. And the silence that uh, proves me right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm taking it as. Uh-huh. Yeah, great two episodes. Uh, great uh, setup to the entire Red Wall idea, the concept, and yeah, we, we just... meet all of our main play- major players. And uh, the, on- yeah. the only ones who don't make any sort of appearance yet are are the sparrows. Which which is fine. I mean, like it, this first two parter, it's got like it sets up the main main cast. Like you get yeah. you get Matthias' whole. Um, his whole backstory, his whole motivation to take up arms against Clooney the Scourge. You get the whole background of Clooney the Scourge. Yep, get a get a decent idea of th- this is the villain, at the very least. Like, even if you don't know exactly what he wants, it's pretty, pretty clear. Like, yep, bad guy, good guys, bad guys, got it. Yeah, it's perfectly set up. This is a great, I'm assuming, distillation of maybe the first six chapters of Redwall. Yeah, probably. I mean, a lot of Redwall is, uh, like, these rich illustrative narrations, like... The forest. Especially of, of the, the forest, uh, the feasts. It's always... This is why I can't get into fantasy. <laughs> you gotta you gotta take a break and get this amazing, lush description of all the food that the characters are happening are having so that you can get hungry. Ah, uh, yes, the, uh... The anime equivalent of a Makoto Shinkai film. Yeah. When he's like, you know what? We we languished over this animation of Amu Rice, and we're going to include it in this movie. You, If you are not fucking bu- booking your skip the dishes order in as you're watching the movie, then we've failed. Yeah, honestly, don't watch uh, any uh, Ghibli or Shinkai film on an empty stomach. Never. You will just get hungry. And you know what? The food that you order will never be as good. Because it can't be. <laughs> nothing Nothing can taste as good as Ghibli food looks. Like, that's... God, do you think... Do you think someone is like, I will... Like, their whole existence is based on, like, one day, I will taste food that looks and 
feels as good as that one scene from Howl's Moving Castle. No eggs will ever be that perfect. And they're just living a life of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. <laughs> no one can reach them because they have this pie-in-the-sky notion of what good cuisine is. This is a guy that I just invented. Who doesn't <laughs> exist. But You don't need to, it's me. <laughs> Every fucking day of my life, I want eggs, bacon, and toast that taste <laughs> half as good as they look in Howl's Moving Castle. Brought to perfect, pr- brought to perfection by the living fires of the castle. Yeah. You'll never have that. Anyway, uh, this show is very good, by the way. It's lovely. Uh, wh- is this going to be one that you uh, see through to the end? Uh, I might, con- I might see, like, I'll, def- I'll probably finish the first season. Fantastic, we got a new one. Yeah, but I, I cannot and will not guarantee that i'll keep going you don't want to you don't want to read about uh matimio i mean i might i don't i don't know hold on hold on we got we got see we got to figure out what this name is matimio what did they have like an italian child matimio yeah yeah what the fuck like what so it's it's matthias and cornflower and their child (laughs) matimio yeah guys See that? See right there, Matt Tamio. That proves that they, that it's Catholicism. They they do not have a god. Ah. They they there canonically is no deity. Oh, sorry, but if I say the name Matt Tamio, I assume like oh yeah, that was baptized. Like, <laughs> that child was baptized. Could be Matimio. Uh, Matimio. I I like the Italian pronunciation. I I I know. I like it. Anyway, um, so we're both very much approving of Redwall. Yep. Who'll be on this Red cast? Uh, for this cast, we've got uh, a couple familiar faces, a couple new ones. Uh, so starting off with our boy, Matthias, is Tyrone Savage. Um, I, don't, I don't have, like, a birth date for him, so I don't know how young he was when he, uh, when he had this leading role. 32. Really? No. Oh, you're just making shit up. Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! I did not see that he was Fat Bailey and wind up my back. That was his, that was his, uh, television debut. He was one of the, the main boys in wind up my back. I'm, uh, peak Canadian mom television. I uh, yeah, I'm just gonna say I'm so sorry because you you approached that with such enthusiasm, and I immediately felt like bad because I have no <laughs> idea what that is, and I can't uh, match that enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. It is, it, it's a, a a show from the from the late '90s uh, about this like rural uh, Ontario community during the Great Depression. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I watched the hell out of it with with my mom. This was one of the home from school Ka- sick. Kathy Greenwood is one of the main is one of the leads. This was my introduction to Kathy Greenwood, like not any of her comedy work, but she plays Aunt Grace in Window My Back. Well, I don't know, like a series set during the Great Depression in a small mining town that could go under any moment. Like I'm laughing. Yeah. 
Sounds it like was, a laugh riot. Yeah, this this was my homesick show. It was Wind at My Back and Emily of New Moon would be like would air like back to back. And like five reruns. game shows. Yes. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh that's Yeah. For his That's really cool. So yeah, he would have been like a, a a young teenager at the time. And he does a very good job. He does. I, I do like his performance as Matthias. I think it's uh it feels like a very classical, uh, Frodoian kind of hero. Yeah, he is. He is this. I mean, he's literally small. He's just a little old mouse. And and because he's so young at the time, you can just really feel that innocence in that voice slowly being eroded away by the upcoming many quests and tribulations and trials he has to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's just been he, he's just been pattering around the voice acting business like he was recently he's he's in the dragon prince he's doing all right for himself i feel like we can say that for like the majority of people like when we highlight a cast it's like yeah they they're they, they get work yeah like they're doing they're doing fine yeah do not worry about uh tyrone savage great name by the way um yeah that's great, a great very 90s name that is the brother of macho man randy savage <laughs> distant relative of uh frank frankie savage i don't know who frankie savage is i don't i think i'm mashing two celebrity names together again who is cornflower cornflower is played by uh allison pill god damn everybody likes allison pill yeah i mean fuck she was in She's in Scott Pilgrim, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. gets, that gets yeah, them she's... a pass for life from me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, she was also in Pillars of the Earth. <laughs> full circle. You've come full circle. It all circle. comes back, baby. See, that, that joke that I stole from you yep. for the opening was actually because very good. I'm the good. only one who's seen Pillars of the Earth here. And I don't know anything about fantasy or medieval set books or yeah. media, so yeah. I needed help. <laughs> Uh, so once again, she's do- she's doing great for herself. Yeah, no, there's no need to even get into it. Like Allison Bill, don't worry, she's fine. <laughs> she's doing great. She's she's set to uh, reprise the role of Kim Pine for the Scott Pilgrim yeah. anime. Yeah, as she should. Did as... we get to cover that? Uh, I don't think we've talked about it on the show yet. Do we get to cover that? Like, because even Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, it was shot in Canada. I mean, yeah. But it starred a Canadian. But is it a Canadian movie? Yes. Okay. Because, not just because, like, it was set in in Canada, but, like, because it is so deeply Toronto. In Toronto, my city. That's it's, my city, dude. It's Toronto. Like, it's not just, oh, yeah, they were, they were filming there for, for the cheap, uh, for the for the tax write-offs yeah yeah, like, yeah. no they they fucking went to uh castle loma they they got pizza pizza outside of an outside of the now gone honest eds yeah i don't care what anybody says we claim that movie yeah uh so yeah when scott pilgrim the anime comes out i think we just we we're allowed to cover it well again when it comes out, because that's a Netflix production. Ha! Yeah. Yeah, cr- don't, don't... I don't know, they've gotten to the point where they've, like, confirmed casting. That feels like it's far enough advanced. Sylvie, Sylvie, 
the Batgirl movie was done. I know. Literally done. I know. Don't don't take anything for granted. Don't take anything as gospel. I don't care that Edgar Wright himself said, like, oh, this is happening. Okay, so uh, Clooney is played by Diego Matamoros. Fantastic job. Oh, yeah. He nails it. This, uh, this definitely feels like a legacy kind of guy. Yeah, he, uh, he is not, he's, he's been active since the 80s, um, but he's mostly, he's mostly a, a theater and radio kind of guy. Ah, uh, so just dipping his toe into, well, they got a mic in front of me, I just have to do lines. This is exactly. like radio. Yeah, like he's, he, he's done a couple, like, live action, couple, bit, bit of animation, um, yeah. He he does return for the third season of Redwall to also play uh, the villain, but it's not Clooney the Scourge, it's Bodrag the Tyrant. Better name. Better name than Clooney. I don't know, Clooney just, it's a very Middle Ages name. It, sorry, the actor ruined that name forever. But I mean, it's spelt differently. But it sounds exactly the same. Like, that... <sighs> You, you can't dissociate that in my mind. Like, it's... I mean, I, I can very easily. But George, though. Anyway, who else? Uh, as as my, my girl Constance, we've got one Janet Wright, who is a... She's English-born, but she's uh, lives in Canada. And uh, that's... That's one Emma Leroy from Corner Gas. Back-to-back Corner Gas alums. Yep. On the cast of the shows we covered. <laughs> Yep. And this is the first time we've ever, like, encountered her work on a animated show because she was recast in Corner Gas Animated because of... On account of her being dead. Yep. And, yeah. And the fact they didn't have this uh, Ouija website that I've got that still isn't loading. Yeah, I mean, really, at this point, I feel like you should try to find a, a different website. But the bar's at, like, 40%. Okay, it's, it's I mean, it, it, might, it might have loaded... It might load by, by the next time we record, which is uh, good, because we're definitely going to need it for that. Great. Um, so, with Janet Wright's performance, um, obviously, Emma Leroy? Janet Wright. No, no, Emma Leroy, the, the character. Oh, okay. So yes, with, that's with, the character name. Okay. With her performance on uh, Corn Gas, very funny, very classic kind of TV sitcom character. She does it very well. Here she is acting acting yes <laughs> this is this is her like her shakespeare yeah like she's fully embracing her english accent she's leaning into uh the motherly kind of caregiver role and it's great yeah i constance was one of the few characters who like i extremely remember from the book she leaves an like, impression like i knew there was a badger and then when she came on screen, I instantly, like, my brain was like, oh, that's Constance. That's my main girl, Constance. I love her. The one who wants to throw hands at, like, a moment's yeah. notice. She will fight you. She threw a fucking table in this. Yeah. As she should. Just at the moment's notice when things of this weird parlay between Mortimer and Clooney kind of went uh, topside, she says, like, nope, 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 now's the time to start throwing furniture. As she should. 
She read the room, and it's like, no, 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 no. You know what can solve violence. this problem? Yes, violence. violence. She chooses violence, violence every time. Always the answer. Yeah, she's very good in this. Yes. Uh, and then as Abbott Mortimer, we've got uh, Chris Wiggins. Another very he's, English he's like performance. The, he is the legacy get. For he's this. the legacy get. Yeah. Okay, yep, I'm seeing uh, his selected filmography and fuck. Yeah. This is selected? What did they leave out? <laughs> yeah, but, but this is this is the, the pull. But he'd, he'd, he'd been doing voice acting pretty much as long as he'd been doing, like, live action acting. So a, wor- a real workhorse. Yes, but we will definitely come back to this guy when we get to Babar and Care Bears. I mean, the man was in uh, Star Wars Ewoks. Ew. Which, again, is is a show we're probably going to get to at some point. Wait, that's animated? Yep. I don't know shit about Star Wars. <laughs> and it's Canadian. Great. Yeah. So happy. Oh, and the long talked about on this podcast, Rock and Rule. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll do that one day. I don't know what the occasion is going to be for that. Maybe episode 100? Yeah, that's, that sounds like something we can do. Like we'll finally do a movie? Movie? Yeah, yeah, like a full feature length. And have to and have to figure out how we do that. Yeah. Because I still don't think we know how to do this. Anyway. Uh, um, and finally, for the, for the sake of these two episodes, we have uh, your your favorite character as Bagels, ba- Basil Staghair, Richard Binsley. This so as soon as he appeared in episode two, I realized like, oh, this took a turn for the worse. <laughs> like so, this You're- is. Here's the you're comic a, relief. The very necessary comic relief. Stag hair stan. Here's the late nineties, early two thousands ness of Redwall. This I mean Quip heavy rabbit. He he gives big like um big failure energy. Like this guy is the least favorite of all of his siblings. Understandably. <laughs> How can you stand him? I love. I kind of love him. Of course you. He's would. a loser. Of course, this would be your, your, your little <laughs> he's guy. Not, he's not my. No, he's not. He's not my little guy. He's clearly like the tallest member of the cast. He's still a rabbit, Sylvie. <laughs> Rabbits are small. <laughs> he's got. I I get the feeling that he's absolutely gonna save the day, in the in the climax. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. That would be his thing. Um, yeah. I, I did appreciate the running joke of him attempting to introduce himself and everyone giving him no time of day. Yeah. Because that's what you do to this nuisance. You <laughs> shut him out. I I enjoy a character who does kicks. <laughs> I, I think it's fun. For, <laughs> like, that's especially it. in terms of, like, animated fight sequencing it just really mixes things up to have someone who does big kicks it's like that it's like that meme image of uh a monkey with neurons attached to like attached to its brain and it's like uh endorphins (laughs) active and it's just just a gif of basil just kicking things yeah yeah that's that's my serotonin boost for the day Anybody else on the main cast of this first episode? Um, it sounds like we got through all the big names. Yeah, those those are the ones that I felt were, like, super important. 
unless we wanted to... Unless we wanted to talk about Methuselah. Who is Methuselah? Got, that's that old-ass mouse in the Abbey. Because he is also... He is also a legacy get. Well, yeah, he's he's Wayne Robson. Yeah. Like, famed Red Green Show alum, I guess you'd call him. Also, uh, I, I can't remember when we brought this up. Probably for another weird cast. Maybe for him. Uh, because he was also in classic science fiction Canadian film Cube. Yeah. And a bunch of shit. He he was also a guy that worked constantly. Yeah, he was in Dolores Claiborne. He was again in Babar. We're gonna... God, when we get to Babar, we're just... We're gonna have a good time. Oh, fun fun little thing. Probably due to the fact that part of it was maybe filmed near the border in Canada or around Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, both him, Wayne Robson, and Janet Wright were in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Neat. Yeah, the Robert Altman film. They He played a bartender. She played a character named Eunice. For them. Weird. We- weird little six degrees of separation there. Yeah. It all it all comes back to Redwall. Always does. Always does. That is the that that is the thesis that is of all Canadian media. I don't know. Um I don't remember his performance. Uh it was this classic old man. Where does he appear? I don't remember. Uh... He um the first near the end of the first episode, he uh Oh, he, he explains aspects of the tapestry. Right. Us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's like the resident lore keeper. Of I all. gotcha. I'm 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 just looking. At, I was looking over my notes to try and find if I jotted down the name uh, Methuselah, and I just I saw this one note. I love this badger in all caps. Because <laughs> she's perfect. No, if anything, if anything, I think Constance is my little guy for this show. All right, all right, I, I, I can. I think she'd kill me if if I called her that. But it's a badger. You yeah. Can pick up a badger. Shouldn't. Absolutely should not. They are feral at times, but you know, they're also kind of very cute. They're, they're extremely cute. See, now I'm just looking over these notes, and like I have a bunch of things where it's like, like lines from the show. Where it's like, wait, they said this? Uh, specifically with a character we probably should also cover, if their actor is notable enough. Um, sure. I will show you Eternity, quoted by Asmodeus Poison Tooth. Yes. I, I can absolutely pull up the... I will show you Eternity. Yeah. That is a heavy spice to add to your children's show. Yeah. Like, there's no... There's that's, no denial there. That is a murder scene. Yeah, that's that's how I want to be killed. Is by someone who will say, "I want to show you eternity." Like that is, that uh, is he, a classic. He class- is voiced yeah. by one David Hemblin. Name sounds familiar. Uh, also, an English actor. Ah. Uh, there's there's a few of those in Canada. <laughs> Only a few. <laughs> just just a handful. Uh. I don't think we've come across him yet. Oh, okay. But he's, uh... Yeah, I think the only time we could have is he did some bit work in, uh... uh, Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Ah, well, that was... It's an anthology. They'll get to everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's done a lot of television. He's done a fair bit of film. He's in Exotica. 
classic. Yeah. Fantastic movie. Oh my god. Yeah. You go watch Exotica, listener. It's been a get, it's been, it's been, gets, a while. Get some Adam Egoian in you. It's yeah. Guy only makes bangers. Uh, so we didn't get a lot from David Hamblin as Asmodeus Poison Tooth. Fucking. But holy shit, what we did get. It's it's a strong uh. It's a strong impression for this clearly, like, side villain that is yeah. just going to be there in the forest and cause some real problems somewhere down the line. Like, we're, we're focused on including it right now, but there is a... This is a serial killer. Yeah. I like, mean... That's what this did, character is. Uh, he was also there at the very beginning. Uh, like, he, he did uh, harrow Matthias and his sister when they were coming to Redwall. So, like... This is also, like, a minor personal villain for Matthias. But also just a roaming serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just there. He, he just, like, he hasn't, he does not recognize the authority of anybody, especially Clooney. He's just in the forest, and anyone who comes his way is fair game. God, I'm just, I'm looking at these, I love these otter knights. They, <sighs> Would just, they get... Are they considered uh, the good kind of critter or the bad kind of critter? They are. They are good critters. They are not. They are not vermin, as they, uh, Brian Jacques would say. Yeah, I I love the otter knights. I love their little their little chainmail cowls. <laughs> they they make me think of the um, the rhinoceroses from Disney's Robin Hood. Fantastic. Yeah. I haven't thought about that movie in forever. Uh. You should think about it more. Well, no, because uh, unlike uh, the majority of people who do think about that movie, I don't want to fuck the main character. <laughs> yeah, that is that is the big difference. Yeah, that's that's what's kept that movie relevant. <laughs> God, I have a I have a friend who was very like in denial of uh, of of her furry status, like just <laughs> at, like no no, and then she's like, wow, like Robin Hood Fox is so cute, and it's like, girl. Oh, man, to have your awakening associated with that. <laughs> All power to them. Hope they're doing yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, another another choice quote here about how secretly raw this series is. Uh, I believe this quote is from Matthias. Uh, I couldn't stain your kitchen knife on a rat. Yeah! That was, like, honestly a genuinely romantic kind of... Because it's cornflowers, like... It's hers. And yes. He's not going to ruin it on one, any of these shit lords. He's not going to ruin it with the blood <laughs> of a living thing he's going to stab until yeah, death. Yeah, that's romance. You know what? Yeah, fair. But also, we, we just kind of like, we, we didn't really cover the plot because, you know, there's we don't really do that here. Nah. But also, Matthias absolutely gets a kill. He gets, uh, well, yeah, he kills the, the shadowy... Rogue. Literally named Shadow. Yeah. Um, yeah, he killed, He definitely 100% kills the rogue. He gets a notch on his belt for a 13-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I don't know. I don't know who all, if he got any other kills, because he also helps Constance knock the board uh, uh, that the, the rats are using to, uh, to climb over the walls. And, like, a few rats fall off that board, and that's a, that is a hefty fall. Like, they think that Clooney is alive, but there are two other corpses 
that on the ground there. That same distance of fall killed Shadow. So yeah, it's yeah. You can so assume he, he he got one kill and like minimum two assists. And and also we will say that um, Badger's number of kills is unconfirmed. It's it's really rare that we can talk about this subject for the <laughs> cartoons that we cover. Yeah, um, yeah. What's the kill count of all of our cast members? But like Badger. Because during that parlay scene, she just cold clocks uh, one of Clooney's subordinates, Darkclaw, right yeah. in the back of the head. Oh yeah, that 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 badger has killed before, and she will kill again. It is a full extended punch to the back of your head, the like the most dangerous place to take any impact of your head. Like Darkclaw may be staggering out of that abbey. He will he probably be dead in like sustained brain damage. He is, he has a brain bleed going on. He will be yeah. dead in two days. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Constance does not leave him alive. Yeah, absolutely not. Oh no! I just I just saw that uh, David Hemblin uh, passed away in November twenty twenty. Yeah. Hey, I guess we'll we'll dedicate this episode to him. Why not? Yeah, that sounds good. I like. I only heard one line of dialogue from you as um, as Mosius poison teeth, but you know what? It left an impression. It fucking ripped. Yeah, you, uh, you really made him a terrifying character. Good job, buddy. Yeah, for for like the two scenes we've had with him, horrifying. Well, any parting thoughts on Redval? This is a good fucking show. It is a great adaptation. I'm still gonna die angry that we don't get the. Uh, Patrick McHale. You know, so, I, I don't know the background of that whole production deal. I'm assuming that that Patrick McHale pitched a Redwall adaptation to Netflix. I would imagine so. Uh, because otherwise that would mean Netflix just has the rights to Redwall, and that means we'll never see it again. Yeah, I don't like that. Like, we'll never get um, any more novels, movies tv shows nothing okay all i'm getting is like he finished the script in november of 2022 and then netflix was like we're gonna fuck around with our animation program just just for funsies and then he left if you're not love death and robots we don't care yeah that and big yeah big mouth is that still going i thought that was ending i don't know you think i pay attention to it yes out of spite. No, I don't have the energy for spite. <laughs> so, yes, Redwall, fantastic. Uh, give her a watch, why don't you? It's all available on YouTube, and it holds up much better than you expect it to, because unlike the majority of the things that we cover on this podcast, uh, there's not really any opportunity for you to get embarrassed while watching it. It, it does mean that you will probably... Uh, because if you watch it from uh, the Treehouse account, uh, it does mean that you're probably going to get, uh, you're going to really fuck up your YouTube recommendations. Oh, yeah, you'll fuck with your algorithm doing that. Yeah, um, you're, you're going to get a lot of uh, Madeline. You'll get some of that. Yeah. You, um, some, some Bernstein Bears. Some Pippi Longstocking. Yeah. You'll just... I've got, I've got the Wild Brain Secret Garden movie. The what? Yeah. The fuck is that? It's an animated secret garden movie. It's only an hour long. I should have realized from the title that's what that was. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for listening to another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. If you like what you heard, please consider giving us a like, share, subscribe, and review on your podcatcher of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, because that helps us reach the widest possible audience. You can find the show on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod, where we post episodes every Saturday once more. Except when we don't. We will not break that bond ever again. We never have. We killed the intern that fucked up. In a ritualistic sacrifice. And it they, was they, me. They no longer work for us. You can find myself on Twitter at Cinema Creep, Jesus Christ, um, where I I guess I could post the photos of that sacrifice. Well, that can be yeah. banned. Does Musk care anymore? I mean, you think, yeah, Musk isn't paying attention. Post whatever the hell you want. Cool. Uh, and you can find me at Sylvie Skeletons, uh, where I curse the Leafs out of spite. That's gonna get edited out. What? No! Go Leafs Why? Go, go Leafs go. No, my... Bandwagon! My, no, my, my boss abandoned us to force me to run his funeral. Um, his funeral? I, He's dead? <laughs> no, he was... He had arranged a funeral with the family, and then No, he didn't abandon tickets. you. He died. <laughs> then he got tickets to the game so he fucked off to toronto to watch the game and i had a very high fever and should not have been at work but there was no one else to to run the funeral so i had to go in anyway so i would i spent the whole time cursing the leafs and hoping that they lost and they did so all is right with the world i i don't see how that's john Tavares's fault Anyway, <laughs> that's what I do on Twitter. Great. Well, um, goodbye. Bye. <laughs>